श्रीहरिं परमानंदम् उपदेष्टारमेश्वरम् व्यापकम् सर्वलोकानाम् कारणम् तम् नमाम्यहम् We had. Am I audible to everybody? Is it a little low? Um, last time we had uh, done up to verse number 60. Verse number 61. Yathaiva vyomni nilatvam Yathaiva vyomni nilatvam Yathaniram marusthale Yathaniram marusthale Purushatvam yathasthano Purushatvam yathasthano Tadvadvishvam chidatmani Tadvadvishvam chidatmani the entire universe appears in the pure consciousness, which is the self. Just like the blue color appears in the sky, water appears in a mirage in the desert, and a post or a tree trunk is mistaken for a human being at a distance. So the entire universe appears where it is not. The blue color appears in the sky where there is no blue color actually, but it looks like that. There is no water in the mirage in the desert, but it looks like that. looks like there is water. And um, sometimes by mistake you see in a distance a dry tree trunk, which is mistaken for a human being. By, from a distance you think there is somebody standing there. There is no human being there. It's a dry tree trunk. Similarly, it's not a world that we are experiencing or what we actually experience as the world is none other than Brahman, pure consciousness. See, what's going on here is Advaita teaches the oneness of all existence. It is one Brahman appearing as this manifold world. You know, I often speak about Drik Drishya Viveka that um, you are not the body, not the mind. How do you know that? Just as you are the seer and this world is the seen. Similarly, this eyes and the body through which you see the world, that's also seen and you, the, the mind is the seer. And the mind, the thoughts in the mind are also seen. And you, the consciousness, witness consciousness, you are the seer of the mind. The mind, the body, the external universe, all of these are objects which are seen, which are experienced. And we are the witness of all of that. So this is called drashta and drishya, seer and seen. You see, uh, finally you realize that you are the witness of all things, the unchanging witness of a changing universe. This is not Advaita. And this is not Advaita, not non-duality. This is the first step in Advaita. Or sometimes you see, you read in Advaita that uh, 
Look at this body-mind complex. It has five, uh, uh, five sheets, five levels, let us say. From the grossest outward layer of the physical body, Annamaya Kosha. Then inside the vital body, Pranamaya Kosha. Inside the mental body, Manomaya Kosha. Inside that, or by inside I mean subtler. Subtler than that, the intellect, Vijnanamaya Kosha. Subtler than that, the so-called sheath of bliss, Anandamaya Kosha. And I'm, I am the experiencer of all of these. I am separate from all of these. I am the witness of all the five koshas. I am the Atma, the pure consciousness, the witness of the five koshas. You'll say, yes, we have heard this more than once. This is not Advaita actually. Not non-dualism. This is the first step to Advaita. Or when we study, that we look at our experience of life. It's either waking life or dream or deep sleep. Waking, dreaming and deep sleep, sleep they cycle throughout our life. This is our life basically. Every day, every, every week, every month, every year, throughout our lives. We are either waking or dreaming or sleeping. I am the unchanged witness of the waking world, of the dream world, of the deep sleep darkness. This is called avasthatraya vichara, the analysis of the, five, of the three states. But this is not Advaita. This is the first step to Advaita. So whether it is Drigdrishya Viveka, the analysis of seer and seen, or Panchakosha Viveka, the analysis of the five sheets, or Avastatraya Vichara, the analysis of the three states, all of them reveal you as the witness, unchanging witness consciousness, Atman, but it, that is not the final teaching or even the, uh, even the core teaching of non-duality. It is the first step. The ultimate teaching of non-duality is not to separate you from the universe. The ultimate teaching, the final conclusion of, of Advaita Vedanta, non-dual Vedanta, is non-duality, not to. If you separate, if I show you as a separate, unchanging witness consciousness, apart from the body-mind, where is not to? It is two. In fact, much more than two. Consciousness, mind, body, external universe, you are separated from the universe. Right now we are separated from the universe. I think I am this person right here sitting there and you are all separate from me. That's how we experience the universe. As I and this. Subject and object. This first step in Advaita takes it a little, little deeper. That This what you consider to be the subject. Is that really you the subject? It, this also con consists of object. The body is an object, the mind is even an object. You are the unchanging witness of the body-mind, which are objects and part of the objective world. But that's not the conclusion of Advaita. That's just the beginning, the opening theme. The conclusion of Advaita is far more grand. It is the oneness of all existence. See, it's like this. Suppose here is a pot, a classic pot example. Here's a pot. And I think that's the reality. And I'm very attached to, to my pot. And everybody else is attached to his or her pot. You say, what do you mean, Swami? I don't have, even have a pot. <laughs> By that, it just stands for this body and mind and what we consider to be our life. That's the pot, basically. But anyway, let's just take the example of a pot. Here is a pot. Now, a person is very attached to this, considers, yes, this is, what, what is it? It's a pot. What's real about it? It's a real pot. To that narrative, I introduce a second element called clay. 
Look, I will show you something which was there before the pot came, which is there when the pot exists and which will continue to be when the pot is destroyed. Which is common to all other clay, clay uh, formations, clay utensils, uh, pots and jars and so and so forth. Which does not come and go. Pots and pans made of clay, they come and go. So I'll introduce you to something like that. So now I've introduced a second thing. You have one thing, pot. I'm introducing you to a second thing, clay. And this clay is shown to be superior. How? In what sense? It is the source of the pot. It exists even before it was a pot. When it is a pot and when it will just be a broken pot, it still is clay. So in compare, compared to the pot, it is immortal basically. Now when you begin to say, hey, this clay sounds nice. Where can I find the clay? Then you are asked to take a look at the pot. And see, it is made of clay on the outside. What is it? It's clay. Look at it inside. It's clay. On the top it's clay. On the bottom it's clay. In fact, it's clay through and through. Clay is the material, the substance of which the pot is made. So clay is the reality, the, the material cause of the pot. The pot is an effect. The pot is a name, pot, a farm, and use, transaction. You can keep water in it or whatever. But the reality of it is clay. All right, so I get it. Okay, there's, so the reality of the pot is clay. Now we go one step further and say that there is no such thing as a pot. Is there a thing called a pot? If you take clay, there is no second thing called a pot apart from the clay. Catch this carefully. If there is a pot apart from the clay, show me. I'll take the clay away. Show me the pot. You cannot. Then what is the pot? It's a name. It's a form. And it's transaction, a use. In Sanskrit, nama rupa vyavahara. Name, form and use. But substantially speaking, it's clay. If you take it's a thing, there's only one thing there, that's clay. If you take it as reality, there's only one reality there, that's the clay. And the magic is, once you realize there is no such thing as a pot, carefully, no such thing as a pot, even after that the pot doesn't disappear, you can continue to call it a pot, it still, you know, it still looks like a pot, it walks and talks like a pot also. <laughs> it, it, it does all kinds of pot-like things. And so you can still use it as a pot. Swami, why are you going on and on about pots? <laughs> Apply it to the world. Apply it to the world. What we call the world in here, Vishwam. It seems to be a world of things and people and matter and energy and time and space. And then you are introduced to something called Brahman, which is existence, consciousness, bliss. And then you will be shown that this existence, consciousness, it was there before this universe comes into your experience. It is there when the universe is within your experience. It will be there when the universe is also destroyed. And this universe is nothing apart from this existence, consciousness, bliss, this Brahman. The Brahman is the reality of which universe is an effect. In the universe is a name, a form and a transaction. Nama, Rupa, 
vyavahara, name, form, and transaction. And then you realize that Brahman is the reality of this universe. Even after realizing the magic is, you realize that, there is, that Brahman is the reality. In fact, you will realize after next step is that there is no such thing, no such reality called the universe. It is Brahman and Brahman alone. Even after realizing the magic is that the universe will still continue to appear. It will just look like this. It will look like this, it will sound like this, it will taste like that. Body will continue to appear, mind will continue to appear, the vyavahara, the transactions of the universe will continue. But you see through and through that it is Brahman and nothing other than Brahman. This is the thing. This is the final teaching of Advaita Vedanta. What does it say? The universe appears in Brahman. Like, he gives examples. From now on, Shankaracharya will give a, a wide variety of wonderful examples. Many of those examples will be familiar to you because I have often used them uh, and I've got them from here. You'll recognize them. Examples. Blue sky. We often say, okay, the sky is blue. But we all know that it's not really blue. Yeah. I've used this joke once too often, but I can't resist. <laughs> Southwest plains are not blue because they flew through a blue sky. <laughs> and the, you have to hose them down to take off the blue color. No. The sky, there is no color as such. It's because of an optic, optical phenomenon that light scatters in that way. You get the, the experience of a blue sky sometimes. But it's not really blue there. In the same way, it's not really a thing, a person, a house or a car or a, or a rock. It is Brahman. But it looks like that. Even after you realize that it's not really blue, when you look up into the uh, sky at daytime, especially a winter sky now, it looks like blue. Yes. Even when your enlightened person knows it is all Brahman, even then when the person looks and looks at the world, experiences just as the way we unenlightened folk might experience. When Narendranath went to Ramakrishna and asked, Sir, have you seen God? Now, Ramakrishna, who is enlightened, did he say, wait, I can't see you, I can see only Brahman? No, he sees Narendranath like anybody else would see him and can he understand his speech and can respond to him, can talk in his terms. An enlightened person can converse with us, talk in our terms. But the enlightened person sees something more, sees in, again within quotes, sees. You might even say, understands. Many of us, we have read or heard of the book, The Tao of Physics, Fritjof Capra. He was a, a particle physicist. Um, I don't even know whether I should say was. Uh, he is, yes. Um, today I was reading how he came to write that book. He says one day he was sitting near the ocean and looking out into the blue sky, the ocean and the beach all alone and suddenly he felt this is all a dance of energy. He said, I had read all these things earlier in my work as a particle physicist. I know that my body and the sea and the, and the air all around me, it's composed of atoms and molecules and subatomic particles which are continuously vibrating. I know that we are the, through the, from space, continuously high energy particles are streaming. Uh, into the earth's atmosphere everywhere alone around the light I see uh, the movement of the oceans it's a play of energy 
But for the first time he says, I knew this, but for the first time I saw, and he give, gives that saw in quotes. Because the saw is, what will you call it? Actually seeing it with these eyes, because with these eyes he's seeing exactly what he was seeing earlier, the beach and the ocean and the sky. Will you call it understanding it? Because understanding, he already understood it. He had read, he is a, he had read particle physics, he knows physics. He has understood this. So what happened? Something is understood. And now he says, I saw it. Two, three times he uses the word saw within quotes. I saw this. And then he writes that, I was immediately reminded of the Hindus who wor worship the cosmic dancer, Nataraja. That's why on, on his book's cover, you will find the Nataraja Shiva. Somebody told me in CERN, the high energy uh, particle accelerator in, uh, under Geneva and in Switzerland, um, outside they have a statue of the Nataraja. Yeah. So then he wrote the book later on. But my point here is saw in what sense? When you say you, the enlightened person sees the universe in Brahman, sees in that sense, which is something more than understanding, something more than seeing with these eyes. It, it's, the, it's the ultimate experience. Anubhuti experience. Brahma Anubhuti. Three examples. Just as in the sky, blue color is seen. It is seen. You know it's not there. Even after knowing it's not there, you still see it. And you can still talk about it. Look, the beautiful blue sky. Knowing full well, it's not blue. It looks like that. One. Just like that, the universe is seen in Brahman. Two. Just as water is seen in a mirage. In the, in the desert, in, from a distance, you can see a mirage. Swami Vivekananda once in the deserts of Rajasthan. He was walking and he, saw, he was very thirsty. He saw water. He walked towards it and discovered it's a mirage. It's not water. And then he walked again and looked back at it. And what did he see? Water. But you see, there are, now there's a dual consciousness. He sees water, but he does not think it is water. He knows it's not water. Just as water is seen, within quotes, in a mirage, similarly is this universe seen in Brahman. It's not there, it looks like that. Purushattvam yathasthano. Just as in a, the example is of a dry tree stump in a distance, somebody sees it in the twilight and thinks, is that a person there, standing there? Because it's a dry tree stump with dry branches, looks like hands and so on. So, it thinks there's a person standing there. When you go, come close to it, you see, oh, it's a dry tree stump. Just like that, this universe, you think that they, this is a separately, independently existing universe out there. That it is all in you, the existence consciousness place. Tadvad Vishwam Chidatmani. The entire universe appears in consciousness, Atma, which is the Atma. Let the universe appear in consciousness, so what? It's you. Which consciousness? It's you. Consciousness, I'll make a point. Consciousness is never experienced except as you yourself. Except as the I. Think about it. Dispute it. Where do you experience consciousness now? Tell me where do you experience consciousness now? In yourself? Within yourself? As yourself? Hmm? 
Follow this carefully. If you have any doubt, stop me. You experience yourself as awareness. You experience awareness as yourself. Where else do you experience awareness? There should be some protests. Swami, what about all these people sitting around? Are you saying that they, are, they have no awareness, no consciousness? Are they zombies? Hmm? Okay, you, you give me the answer. See, these people are sitting there. I experience consciousness. Am I insulting you by saying there's only consciousness here? Yes, that answer is yes. It's in your awareness. All the other people, all the other people are in your awareness. Not only that, the precise answer will be, if you say, is there awareness in other people? Very, yes, certainly. But are you aware of their awareness? What are you aware of? When you look at other people, what are you aware of? You can see them. You can hear them. You can, you can experience their, their speech, their behavior. You can perceive them, their existence, their speech, their behavior. But their awareness? You only infer it. In philosophy, the entire problem of other minds, forget consciousness, the problem of other minds. How do we know these people have minds? Only by, by seeing their behavior and actions, we infer it. I take a cup of coffee and say, ah, it's so nice. The other person also takes a cup of coffee and says, ah, it's so nice. So the niceness I felt, I'm sure he must be feeling the same niceness in there. Though I don't see the niceness that person is feeling. I only see the action. This is called the problem of other minds in philosophy. Um, Advaita takes it one step further. You may even become aware of the feelings of other people. You may even become aware of the thoughts of other people if you are a telepath. If you can see the... But even those thoughts and feelings will appear to you in your consciousness. Yes. That's what Vedanta wants to point out. Consciousness is seen only... Is experienced by all of us. Step one. Consciousness is experienced by all of us as I, here, now, me. And the entire universe is experienced in consciousness and not outside it. What is the relationship of the universe to consciousness? Here is where Advaita makes a tremendous statement, a fantastic claim. What is the relationship between the universe and consciousness? No relationship. There is no universe separate from consciousness. Relationship requires two things. Here is a hand and here is a book. Book is on the hand. But it's not that here is the universe and here is consciousness and consciousness contains the universe just like my hand contains the book. No. You can never experience a consciousness apart, a, a universe apart from the consciousness. The universe is an appearance in your consciousness just like the blue color in the sky, just like the water in the mirage, just like um, the imagined person in a tree stump. There is no blue color in the sky. It looks like that. There is no water in the mirage. Looks like that. And there is no person out there. It's just a tree stump, but looks like a person. Even after this realization, the experience of the universe will continue. And you can, you can be fully functional. Don't worry. After realizing there is no such thing as a pot, the only thing, substance, is clay, you can still use a pot. You can still call it a pot. Lot of nice examples will come. Yes, there's a question.
Correct? If you are dreaming, the question is if I'm dreaming, is that also consciousness or awareness in different state? What Advaita will say, I'll give you a precise answer. What Advaita will say, when you are awake, when you are dreaming, when you are sleeping, these are different states, not of consciousness. Because we often we speak of states of consciousness loosely. Precise answer will be these are states of your mind. When the mind sort of partially shuts down, it is no longer connected with your body and your sense organs, you do not experience the external world. You don't even experience the body. But it's still partially functioning. You watch a dream. It generates a dream experience in the mind. And the consciousness is the same consciousness which was illumining the mind and the sense organs in the waking world just now. As the mind shuts down and goes into a dream mode, consciousness unchanged continues to illumine the mind in the dream mode and you have a dream experience. Earlier you were having a waking experience. Mind shuts down completely, goes into a potential state, seed state, bijavastha, we call it deep sleep. Deep sleep, sushupti. What happens? Blank. But the consciousness continues. It, it illumines that blankness of the mind also. That's called deep sleep. So you have a waking experience, dream experience, deep sleep experience. These are states of the mind. Consciousness, one and unchanged. And you are that consciousness, not the mind. This is what Advaita says. Uh, deep sleep, if you look back, connected to your experience, if we look back at deep sleep, what do we uh, remember about deep sleep or what do we feel about deep sleep? We feel that it was a state of not knowing anything and restfulness. So, Sukham Aham Aswapsam, I slept happily. Nakinchi Davedisham, I did not know anything. I did not know anything. Every culture has a, has a word, has a phrase for this. I slept like a log. In English, it's a common experience. So, yes, that's why it's called Anandamaya because it is free of troubles. All your troubles disappear in deep sleep, and it's free of and, and it's full of rest, restfulness. So, it's called bliss. Another added function which we have in deep sleep uh, is actually that Anandamaya Kosha, which gives us the experience of deep sleep. According to Vedanta, that is the source through which the original Ananda of the Atma, Ananda Swarupa, that percolates to us. So whenever we have an experience of intense happiness, bliss, that's because of the Anandamaya Kosha. But functioning now through the Vijnanamaya and Manomaya and all that. Yes. Um, now let us go on. More examples. Yathaiva shunye vetalo Yathaiva shunye vetalo Gandharvanam puram yatha Gandharvanam puram yatha Yatha kashe dvichandratvam Yatha kashe dvichandratvam Tadvad satye jagatsthitihi just as a ghost appears in, in, the, in, the, in the vacuum, in, in space, in the sky. People, ghost appears means sometimes you get scared. You see a ghost where there's nothing, nothing basically. Just, it's just darkness. In that you just see a moving shape and you think, oh my God, it's a ghost. So, Vetal, Vetal is a particular kind of ghost. 
uh, in Indian mythology, you have a whole, uh, you know, biological classification of ghosts. Yes, so Vetala is one kind of ghost. I think there was a song in a Satyajit Rai movie, a short ghost, tall ghost, fat ghost, thin ghost, <laughs> something so. <laughs> Song went like that, the dance of the ghosts. But there's no such thing. It just looks like that. In exactly the same way in Satyam. Satyam means truth. Truth is Brahman. In Brahman, Jagatstiti, the existence of the universe is like that. Like a ghost in space. Like a ghost imagined in space. This entire universe. Swamiji, you are killing me. This is, you're taking my universe away. Good, the bad, you're taking everything away from me. No, I'm not taking anything away from you. Advaita does not take anything away from you. It reveals the truth of what is. We are walking half awake, dreaming through this life. It ma makes us awaken to life. It makes us awaken to the fullness of life. What is the fullness of life? It is existence, consciousness, place which you are. The rest of this world? Ghost in space. And the next one, Gandharvanam Puram Yatha, like castles in the air. The exact imagery is, sometimes you look up in the sky and you see these cloud formations, especially from the aircraft it seems even more clear. Vast clouds formations, like huge palaces, like a city. So Gandharva is a class of celestial being. Ghosts are lower kinds of beings. Gandharvas are higher kinds of beings. There's a whole classification of higher kinds of beings also. So, castles in the sky. Cities in the clouds. When you look up and you imagine that. So those are called the cities of the Gandharvas. But really, what are they? They're clouds. They're clouds. There is no city in the sky. In the same way, um, there is no independent, separate, existing universe out there. It's an appearance in Brahman, just as there is no thing called a pot apart from the thing called clay. I'll repeat that. Apart from the thing called clay, there is no thing called a pot. Remember, Vedanta is not saying there's nothing here. Oh, it's all false. No, no, no. It is all true. I will say it the other way around. It is all true. It is all true as Brahman. What you imagine to be human beings and dogs and cats and plants and rocks and stars and atoms, they are all one, one ocean of existence consciousness place. That's what Advaita is saying. One more example. Yatha kashe dvichandratvam. All beautiful examples. Sometimes when there's a full moon and you look up, or there's a moon in the sky and night sky and you look up and you sort of um, press your eye like this. You will see two. Right now I'm seeing two of each of you right now. Yes. <laughs> You'll see two moons in the sky. Dvichandratvam. So now are there two moons in the sky? Nothing has happened to the moon. It's your perception has been altered by putting pressure on your eyeball, on the lens. So in the same way, it's not that there is a universe, uh, uh, a variegated um, uh, universe of duality out there. It looks like that to us under the influence of, not by pressing the eyeball here, but under the influence of maya, ignorance. It seems like that to us.
then what is the truth? Tadvat Satye Jagat Stitihi. Just like ghosts in, in space, just like the castles in the air, just like two moons where there is one in the sky. Exactly like that is the world in the real, supreme reality called Brahman. Um, actually, the bliss of Samadhi is, is an experience also, and the bliss of dreamless sleep is also an experience. But the bliss of dreamless sleep is basically an experience in ignorance. In Samadhi, imagine the dreamless sleep in, while you are awake. Imagine erasing the external world, erasing your body from your awareness, erasing your mind, yet you are completely awake. That is Samadhi. Chitta Vritti Nirodha. Sahaja Samadhi. Oh, that's a different one. But this is uh, Asampragyata Samadhi or Nirvikalpa Samadhi. Yes. So, and it, uh, this is accompanied by intense bliss. Intense ex experience of bliss. That's also in Dhananda Maikosha, but um, it is, it is in, in knowledge, not in ignorance. It is accomplished, um, the Savikalpa Samadhi is accomplished through an effort and that ultimately glides into Nirvikalpa Samadhi. Yes. Yes. Right. Agency. You're asking, is there any agency in consciousness? The question she's asking is, you're saying consciousness illumines. Illumines not in the sense of a verb. If I take a light and switch it on and focus on each of you, I'm illumining, but I'm doing an action. And light is streaming out of the torch and illumining you. It's an action. But consciousness does not illumine in sense of an action. There are two kinds of awareness in all of us at the same, all the time. One is what we are most familiar with. When you see something, when you hear something, when you taste something, smell something, touch something, when you think of something, when you remember something, all of these involve action. To see something, I must focus my eyes. And then I must join my mind, pay attention to what information my eyes are bringing. So that then I have see something. When you hear something, that also requires action. So this is called in Sanskrit, pramata, the knower, using the pramanam, the instruments of knowledge, in order to know the prameyam, the object of knowledge. This is the epistemology from a Vedantic standpoint. Right now, right now, all of you, you are consciously paying attention, using your mind and intellect, memory, to the sound impulses coming in through your ears and experiencing my words, understanding them, correlating with what you know. All of this is action. So this is one kind of knowledge. And this is our, the way commonly what we understand by conscious experience. With me so far? The second kind of awareness, what Advaita Vedanta is talking about, Vedanta is talking about, is the background consciousness which lights up this entire process. We are normally not aware of it. Vedanta is trying to point, out, point it out to us. That's the process. That's what was done in the beginning from, um, I think, 
for the first 40 verses, separating body, mind, our senses, our whole epistem epistemological apparatus from the background consciousness. That background unchanging consciousness. It is compared, I give you an example of the sunlight which bounces off the moon and appears as moonlight to us at night. So at night whatever you see is with the help of the moonlight. But actually that moon does not have light of its own. It's the sunlight coming from bouncing off the moon and we call it moonlight. Yes, practically it is moonlight. But really speaking it is coming from the sun. And at night you don't see the sun. In the same way, right now we are using moonlight. Moonlight means the reflected consciousness. Consciousness reflected or streaming through our minds and intellects and senses. And the source of the consciousness we are not aware of, which is the Atman, which is the real self, just like the sun. So that consciousness is not, is not an, it does not involve action. It is continuously shining. Language forces me to use uh, verbs, action words, shining, seeing, illuminating. But just consider it to be unchanging light. And that's what you are. That's what we are actually. Through the apparatus of the mind and body, we are deploying and using that light. Their action comes in. So the moment you say, to answer your question, the moment you say, is there any control over it? Even the question of control comes when there is a mind. It's the mind and the intellect which choose to exercise control, which seek to exercise control. This is called katritva, agency. That one, the Atman, it's not that it does, does not have control over everything, anything. It has, in fact, it is that which enables you to control other things. It is the reality of the controller also. It's like saying, does the clay have any control over the pot? You see, the clay, you see, this question does not make much sense. But the clay, what does it do for the pot? What does the clay do for the pot? It makes the pot. It gives the pot its very... Existence. Right? The clay gives the pot its very existence. Suppose somebody says, no, but the clay cannot hold water or milk. It's the pot which can hold water or milk. And so the pot is more important than the clay. You see the question? It's the body and mind which are important. Because with the body and mind, I can see, I can talk, I can enjoy, I can suffer, I can live my life. Pure consciousness seems useless. But look at it this way, all the potentialities of the pot, whatever you can do with the pot, they are all in potential form in the clay. It's the clay's powers alone manifested as the pot which enable you to do all things which you can do with the pot. In the same way, it is the pure, all powers and possibilities lie within that Satchidananda. Manifesting as a particular body and mind, you get particular powers which you can use. Okay, so your, to answer your question, no, pure consciousness, no agency or action is there, but it not, does not mean that it is uh, in some sense inferior to the agent of action. It is actually the source and the, it gives the agent all its existence and capacities. All right. Sixty-three. More beautiful examples. Two more examples. Yatha taranga kallolai Yatha taranga kallolai 
ಜಲಂಸ್ಫುರತ್ಯಲಂ ಜಲಂಸ್ಫುರತ್ಯಲಂ ಪಾತ್ರೇಣ ತಾಮ್ರಂಹಿ ಪಾತ್ರೇಣ ತಾಮ್ರಂಹಿ ಬ್ರಹ್ಮಾಂಡೋಘೈಸ್ತಾತ್ಮತ ಬ್ರಹ್ಮಾಂಡೋಘೈಸ್ತಾತ್ಮತ ಜಸ್ಟ್ ಆಸ್ ದಿ ವಾಟರ್ ಇನ್ ದ ಓಷನ್ ಮ್ಯಾನಿಫೆಸ್ಟ್ಸ್ ಡಿರೆಕ್ಟ್ಲಿ ಆಸ್ ಯು ನೋ ಆಸ್ ರಿಪಲ್ಸ್ ಆಸ್ ವೇವ್ಸ್ ಆಸ್ ಬಬಲ್ಸ್ ಆಸ್ ಫೋಮ್ಸ್ ಆಸ್ ಅ ಚೈನ್ ಆಫ್ ಸೀಸ್ಲೆಸ್ ಸ್ಟ್ರೀಮ್ ಆಫ್ ವೇವ್ಸ್ ಕಮಿಂಗ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಹಿಟಿಂಗ್ ಅಗೇನ್ಸ್ಟ್ ದ ಶೋರ್ ಇಟ್ಸ್ ಜಸ್ಟ್ ಅ ವಾಟರ್ ಬಟ್ ಇಟ್ ಅಪಿಯರ್ಸ್ ಟು ಯು ಆಸ್ ವೇವ್ಸ್ ಆಸ್ ಆಸ್ ರಿಪಲ್ಸ್ ಆಸ್ ಆಸ್ ಬಬಲ್ಸ್ ಆಸ್ ಫೋಮ್ ಆಸ್ ಸರ್ಫ್ ಆರ್ ಜಸ್ಟ್ ಆಸ್ ಯು ಹ್ಯಾವ್ ಅ ಕಾಪರ್ ಪ್ಲೇಟ್ ದ ಕಾಪರ್ ಮ್ಯಾನಿಫೆಸ್ಟ್ ಆಸ್ ಅ ಪ್ಲೇಟ್ as a dish or as a jug but it's the copper only this is the same thing as a clay and pot example in the same way it's a beautiful term brahmand oga the entire universe in fact um it means the entire collection of universes you see the ancient hindus has had the idea of of multiple universes not just one universe stars galaxies and the entire universe but then this universe had a beginning a creation a big bang and it exists for billions and billions of years and one day it will again dissolve yeah, but one theory is the big crunch if you go to the um, the museum of natural history here and the neil degrasse tyson will take you through the st- stages in the planetarium from big bang to big crunch hmm. but the hindus believe that this will again start in a new universe before there this universe there was another universe after this universe there will be another universe um uh, uh, in cyclical progression progression srishti sthiti laya srishti means projection sthiti means existence laya means dissolution exactly as the your humble potter in in the mass of clay makes a pot and if he's not satisfied with the with the uh, pot he again uh, um before the pot is burnt because actually when after the pot is burnt and dried you cannot dissolve it back into clay again but when it's soft and unbaked you can again make it back into a lump of clay a man walked by in the morning and he saw a lump of clay in a, just in front of a potter the potter's wheel the potter's just getting down to business and later that evening when the man was walking back home he saw oh in the afternoon when the man w- w- walked past that potter's house he saw so many pots and pans uh, so many things made of clay not yet baked now that in the afternoon there was a big shower and so the potter what happened was potter saw it had been spoiled so what did he do he lumped them all together back again to try next morning when this man walked back in front of the um potter's house he saw a lump of clay he said those dozens and dozens of beautiful pottery um, the different pieces of pottery where are they they were that lump of clay that big mass of clay they were these so many different pots all seeming different existences and now they are again that big mass of clay right that clay was there in the beginning 
Even when it looked like so many different kinds of pots, it was the same clay. Now it again looks like a mass, a, 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 a mass of clay. It's the same clay. No difference as far as the clay is concerned. Similarly, he says universes, many universes. Not only that, they had the conception of multiple universes existing parallelly. Nowadays, we are, just now we are beginning to talk about parallel universes. Sri Ramakrishna says he had a vision of Koti Brahmande Utpatti. He had a vision of, um, of the Divine Mother from whom is being created. He saw actually in a mystic vision a million universes being created. Once he saw this, you know, the crabs in, in the season when the crabs uh, come, are, are born, and they all stream, they all walk back towards the ocean, water. They're tiny little crabs and there are thousands of them. He said they reminded of him of a vision he had of a million universes emanating from the Divine Mother. All of those universes, what are they like? They are like waves in water. They are like, they are like dishes made of the same copper. So what is the copper or what is the water? It's that pure consciousness and existence and bliss. I said, okay. What difference does it make? Atmata, they are, their atma is you. They are you. You are all of those universes. See, Swami, that would be nice, but it doesn't seem, seems a lot, lot like science fiction, like the Matrix movie or something. Even the Matrix movie is not that uh, grandiose, what you are proposing here. But it all depends on perspective. I'll give you an example. Right now, sitting here, I am this tiny person in a little body. Um, here is this big room and outside me is this vast city and outside that is this vast country and the world and infinite space, stars without end. I'm tiny, I mean, in, insignificant would be a wrong word. It just... Just nothing. But if you take pers change your perspective, first of all, physical perspective. There is on, on the internet, I saw this, they magnify things by 10x or 1000x and then they zoom out. So you like you get a Google Earth kind of view. So your building where you're staying, then it disappears into a tiny speck in the whole city of New York. Then it disappears into a patch in the uh, western, uh, in the, on the east coast of United States and then the whole of the continent diminishes and you can see the oceans on both sides then you can see the, the um, whole earth, our planet which quickly diminishes to a little blue dot, bright blue dot in the distance as you zoom out further into the solar system and the solar system becomes a bright star with a tiny, few tiny planets whirling around it as the star itself diminishes into a small insignificant star in a mass of stars which we call the Milky Way. I am reminded of one of Asimov's phrases, the stars like dust. The stars like dust. And the Milky Way itself diminishes. You see another galaxy like the Andromeda which is Two million light years away. We throw these words around so easily, but it's just so. And then you go further and further out. Our local cluster of galaxies, and then then the other galaxies, other galaxy clusters, and it disappears into an infinitude of space. 
that is the perspective from the physical perspective. Can anything be grander? Yes. Change another perspective. All of these are thoughts in my mind. Who am I? I am the mind in which the universe is a thought. All of that. Isn't it? Is it a fact? Situate yourself in your mind. Everything that you see, everything that you experience, small, big, vast. You say, but, somebody asked a Swami in the Himalayas, you say, I am all-pervading, but that's not true. I am here and you are there, I am not there. How can I be all-pervading? But, the Swami said, aha, but here and there, are they both not in your mind? The whole concept and experience of space, not only concept, the experience of state is in your mind, uh, of space is in your mind. Yeah. If you limit yourself to a body, you are tiny and the universe is vast. Experience yourself as the mind. Right now you can. Change your perspective. All of these are thoughts. It is true, they are all thoughts. You say, no, they are existing outside. No, outside, inside, that's, that's also a thought. Wait. Time. Experience yourself as a living being. My little life of 70, 80 years compared to the life of, um, um, of a redwood tree. And compared to the life of, of geological formations in tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of years. Compared to the life of the sun in billions of years. Compared to the life of the universe. Uh, is nothing. It's, it's a, uh, less than a speck in eternity. But... Take your stand in the mind. Time also is experienced in the mind. Time must have a stop. Every day you make the time stop. How? In deep sleep. So no, the clock goes on. The clock goes on. You are, you are aware of that only when you wake up. In, in deep sleep you are not aware of the passing of time. Time comes to a stop. Time is in the mind. Space is in the mind. From the perspective of the mind and thought... The vastness of the universe and the eternity of time diminish into just more thoughts in your mind. You become vaster. Go further back. Even the mind is an appearance in consciousness. And you are that consciousness. Mai ananta maham In me the infinite ocean of awareness. Vishwa vichi swabhavata. Universes arise like waves. Udetu vastamayatu. Let them arise, let them subside. Name vriddhi navakshati. I neither gain anything nor lose anything thereby. In me, the infinite ocean of awareness, universes, time and space, eternity and infinity, they arise, they exist, and they subside back into me. When the universe is created, when the body is born, life begins, I do not gain anything thereby. When the body ages, a disease comes and my faculties diminish and then I, the body dies, I do not lose anything thereby. It arose in me, the ocean of consciousness, existed in me, subsided back into me. I am the same ocean of consciousness as I ever was. You had a question? No, I was thinking uh, that the Joksha, uh, the thought comes from, in, comes from emptiness, uh -huh. right? And it disappears in emptiness. Right, in Dzogchen Buddhism they would put it that way, in, from Shunyata. They call it the clear light of the void. 
That's true. The clear light of the void. You are the clear light of the void. That's another beautiful way of putting it. And all of this is one Brahman. The devotee, from, from a devotional point of view, you call it God. Suppose you say, this is too much. I can't wrap my mind around it. Okay, call it God. Everything that we experience is God. Every person that we experience is God. Every action that we experience or do is God. Every thought, every feeling, the good and the bad, all of them are God wearing a name and a form and a particular uh, transactional use. Nama Rupa Vyavahar. Once the Holy Mother, Masharada, a monk asked her, how do you look upon us? And she said in Bengali, Baba, Narayan Bhave, as, as Narayan, as God. I look upon each of you as God. Then the monk said, but we are your children. How can you think of us as your children if you think of us as God? And she, upon contemplating a while, she said, I think of you both as God and as my children. <laughs> Narayan Bhave, Shantan Bhave, as children also. Another time she said, you know what I saw? I saw he alone, Sri Ramakrishna alone has become everything. You know what I saw? I saw Sri Ramakrishna alone has become everything. Her exact words, the lame man is also Sri Ramakrishna, the blind man is also Sri Ramakrishna. I'm translating from Bengali. When they come and uh, when they suffer, it is not they who are suffering. It is the Lord himself who suffers. Hence, when they come and cry, I have to rescue them. That's another perspective. You see this entire ocean as God, my beloved. And so your actions become determined by that. How this very high philosophy is immediately translated into service, into love, into action. Yes. Uh, Swamiji, there are two people sitting, standing uh, at night watching the sky. They have two different Brahman, they have two different awareness, but they see the exact same moon and constellations and Milky Way. Hmm. Doesn't that mean that the moon and the constellations actually do exist outside their existence? It's a standard argument. We have a public experience, a shared experience. So a shared experience means it must exist. We, all of us, you, all of you see the Swami. Hence, you can't say, I'm having a vision of the Swami. Then we're all having a vision. So the Swami exists. But if you say, I am seeing, like, like Sri Ramakrishna used to say, I am seeing Mother Kali, I'm talking with Mother Kali. But the people around, they were amazed, but they did not see Mother Kali, neither did they talk to Mother Kali. So someone could say that he's hallucinating. He's, he's, isn't he, so Mother Kali, does it really exist? So does this world, because of shared common ex experience, does the world exist? Remember, Advaita says, Brahman definitely exists. But there's individual experiences. Advaita never says that they are imagined by you. A shared name and form is there because they're all Ishwara's creations. But ultimately, creations of what? Or what is the material behind it? What is the substance behind it? The substance is existence consciousness place. What we are trying to say is, here is a uh, pot. Is the pot real or the clay real? We think it's a pot is real. Uh, the deeper answer would be the clay is real. 
Because there is no pot apart from the clay. It is the clay alone which is appearing as the pot. Now your question is, are we are all seeing a common experience? Um, so is that real? First of all, yes, you can take that as real because it's part of our common waking experience. But what Advaita says is, behind that reality, what is the reality of the real? The reality of the real, really real is Brahman, which is existence consciousness place. But I know what you're trying to ask. So let me answer that also. When you say that the world is an appearance, like a blue color in the sky, like a, a ghost in space, both of us are seeing the moon in the sky. How can you say it's an appearance? If it was a dream, if it was a hallucination, I would see it, you would not. Take the example of two moons. It's only because you press your eye there that you see two moons. But I don't see, I can perfectly see it's one moon. So the two moons is, is an error, your error. But the one moon certainly is there. So the one moon is real. How can you say moon is not there, it is all Brahman? That is your question? Okay, let me first refute that particular angle. Imagine... You're sitting out there in Central Park and on the lake is there, it's so beautiful and you're sitting with your friend and both of you see the moon and you say, of course this is real because I, both of us, can you see the lake? Your friend says yes. Can you see the moon? Your friend says yes. So both of them, they are real. Both of us are seeing it. That suddenly you wake up and sit up in your bed. Oh, I was dreaming. Now, if that was a dream, then your friend and you and the central park and the lake and the moon, all of them were projections in your mind, the dreamer's mind. There was no friend there, there was no park there, there was no moon there. It was the mind, your mind. That, see, the same argument can apply. We have the same experience in the dream. When you have a shared reality in a dream, that argument would be that since this is a shared reality, it must be true. But the moment you snap out of it, you see it's not true. The whole shared reality was in your one person's mind. So logically that does not hold. Here what they are trying to say is one Satchidananda in which these names and forms appear. Because we inhabit a reality constructed by Ishwara, Satchidananda through Maya, all of us as individual beings, we share a kind of reality. It's like living in a virtual world. In fact, recently there was a whole um, theory. A philosopher suggested it. But people like Elon Musk and all, they have supported it. That the more we advance towards AI, the more it seems probable. Not just a wild science fiction theory, the more it seems probable that the world we live in right now is a simulation running in a computer. That actually there is no world. There is no you or, no, you or me. It's all being simulated in a computer. It's <laughs> saying that. It's a theory. But anyway, interesting. It's possible. In, in principle, there's nothing wrong with that, with that idea. Now, let me go ahead a little more. More examples. Ghata namna yatha prithvi Ghata namna yatha prithvi Pata namna hitantava Pata namna hitantava Jagan namna chidabhati Jagan namna chidabhati Geyam tadabhavata now we can understand this. Remember the pot and clay example. Why? Remember I said the pot is just a name. The reality is clay. Now. Pot is a name given to clay. 
ghatanam na yatha prithvi just as particular formation of clay is just given the name pot there is no such thing as a pot patanam na yatha namna hi tantava pata here does not mean pot in english in sanskrit pata means cloth ghata means pot and in pata in sanskrit means cloth as as a shirt or a cloth shirt is a name given to an arrangement of threads pot is a name given to an arrangement of clay shirt is a name given to an arrangement of threads world is a name given to consciousness pot is a name given to clay shirt is a name given to threads we arrange in this particular way universe the world is a name given to consciousness consciousness alone appears as this world yeah powerful example gayam tatadabhavata how will we know this deny negate the names drop the names drop the pot conception drop the pot conception clay will become evident <coughs> drop the shirt conception it will become evident its thread drop the conception that there is a world out there it will become evident it's all an experience in awareness just now it will become aware think about it even intellectually try to grasp it it's not very difficult after all everything that you're experiencing you're experiencing in consciousness you'll say even in my consciousness but even that my who is that my who owns consciousness it's consciousness it's i the consciousness It's that consciousness alone which appears as everything, and names and forms and usage, nama, rupa, vyavahara constitutes the world, not reality. The reality belongs to Satchidananda, and you are that Satchidananda. Um, I remember. I'll conclude with this story. I remember uh, Swami Nirvanananda. He was a sevak of Swami Brahmananda. Swami Brahmananda, disciple of Sri Ramakrishna, whom Sri Ramakrishna called his spiritual son, Vivekananda said that his spirituality is greater, more profound than mine. Swami Nirvanananda was a sevak, an attendant of Swami Brahmananda, who served him very faithfully until uh, uh, the end of his life. Um, at the end of Swami Brahmananda's life, the last day, when the last time had come, he called everyone and blessed them, and he called Nirvanananda um, and blessed him. what more shall i give you i uh, i bless you that you will be a brahma gyani a knower of brahman in this very life you'll be enlightened in this life itself that's my blessing to you and later on in life people asked him uh, that he became a very senior monk of the order and he became the vice president of the order uh, swami brahma uh, swami nirvanananda his nickname was shudji maharaj and later people asked him that we read in the book that you were blessed by swami brahmananda that, that you will get brahma gyana so have you got brahma gyana and he said yes now, now the story is goes like this and i saw swami nirvanananda also um, um many years ago i was a little kid in velurmat it's interesting that how you remember certain things from your childhood i have seen so many things i have seen so many monks also but this particular monk i remember so i mean nirvanananda i can still recall it immediately i was i was just i think i was 6 or 7 years old and he was sitting there and just remember remember those big eyes glowing eyes staring at me 
just staring. Swami Nirvanananda. Anyway, the story goes like this. A monk told me this story. A very senior monk of the order. I will not name him because he's, he's a very senior monk holding a very, very high position in our order. He told me this story. When he was a novice, and Swami Nirvanananda was the vice president of the order, he had a chance to serve Swami Nirvanananda. Every day he would go to him. And he was also a disciple of Swami Nirvanananda. So this monk who told me, I hope you're not getting confused with so many monks. And, uh, <laughs> this monk, the novice, who told me, uh, when he was a novice. So when he was a novice, he used to go and serve Swami Nirvanananda. And uh, one day, he was sitting in Swami Nirvanananda's room, and Swami Nirvanananda said to him, How long have you been in the order? He said, Three years. He's a novice. Three years, four years. And he said, Oh, what is this? And he pointed to the, to the table. And this novice said, Table? <laughs> and he pointed to this, you know, in India, you, what you call trunks, they are like big suitcases made of metal. They're not used anymore, I think. Trunks. Now you have much more sophisticated stuff. But the, he pointed to that under the bed. What is that? Trunk. And then he pointed to the bed. What is this? Bed? And Swami Nirvanananda became wild and you know, furious. Bed. Trunk. Table. You do not see it as Brahman. You do not see it as Sri Ramakrishna. And when he yelled like this, and this monk who told me, he was just a novice. He just sort of shrunk within himself and he said, no, I don't. <laughs> and, and the uh, another senior monk came running to hear what happened. I mean, why is the Swami yelling? Swami, what's wrong? Look at this boy. He has been in the order for three years and he, he just said, it's, it's a table. He said, it's a trunk, it's a bed. He does not see it. It's Sri Ramakrishna himself. And the senior monk who knew his ways, Nirvanananda's ways, he said, oh, that's all right. He will get to it. He has a, a time, so it'll take some more time. But And Swami Nirvanananda sort of sadly said, three years in the order and he still does not see God in everything. <laughs> so I heard this from the uh, Swami to whom it ha happened. Personally, I heard this. Yes, we have time for one or two questions before we wrap up. So one Brahm, yes. Yes. Why does it take so many years? The glories of realization, the glories of recognizing it, it may be with us all the time. Yes. This is, can, can be one objection. If you say it's right here, then why am I so miserable? If you say I am a billionaire, why am I on welfare? Yeah. The glory is in accessing it. The glory is in recognizing it. Then you, then you begin. Then you realize. Oh my God, what have I been missing all the time? Anybody who has ever realized God has realized it where? Here. Right here. In this life. Within oneself. In everything that they experience. What we experience as the world. What we experience as me, the person. The enlightened person experiences as God. So the glory lies in recognizing it. I gave the example of the washerman and the stone which finally turned out to be a diamond. Do you remember? I think last time I gave the example. Uh, he thought it was a stone and he used it to scrub clothes. 
Then he took it to his friend, the vegetable seller, who said, it looks like a particularly nice stone. I'll give you um, a, a sack of potatoes for it. Then he took it to a diamond merchant who finally said, I'll give you 10 million rupees for it. Because it's, a, it's the biggest diamond. That, you always had that diamond. We never knew its glory. We always have it. We have it right now. So where? We have it and we are using it to scrub clothes. How? We are using it. I'm using it to, to look at people, to desire certain things, to hate other things, and to say that uh, I am miserable, I want to be happy, and life is so awful. I'm using the same consciousness, which is Brahman. I use it to, um, to, um, for my prejudice, for my hatred, for my littleness, for my fears, for my anxiety. Prejudice, fear, hatred, anxiety. All of that is an awareness in the same consciousness, which is Brahman. We don't recognize it. We'll say why. Why? We are too much engaged in the projections of consciousness. That's why. It's not difficult. It's not really very difficult either. Vivekananda said, Thine only is the hand that holds the rope that drags thee on. Let go thy hold, sannyasi bold. Say Om, Tatsat Om. Does not mean you have to become monks. Yes, you have to become monks, all of us, internally. Yes. Externally, life will continue. One thing is, we are too much engaged with the projections of consciousness. We are too much engaged with the pots to recognize the clay. We are too much fond of the ornaments. This is a necklace, it goes here. This is a bangle, it goes here. This is a earring, it goes here. And how nice they are from Tiffany's. But they are all the same material called gold. That escapes our, our notice. The distinctions are important. The little child in, near our main, main monastery in, in Belur, in Calcutta, near, on the Ganges near Calcutta, uh, once in a year, a huge festival like they have in India, traditional festivals, festival is held. And one of the specialties is they'll have little toys made of sugar. And the kids go and buy it. And the kid goes and, and um, nags his mother. I, I want, but I want the, the lion. And the shopkeeper says, we are out of the lions. You can, you can take a... And the mother says, take a horse or a man or an elephant. It's all the same. And the kid goes wild. What do you mean? Are you stupid? How can a horse or an elephant or a man be, be a lion? I want the lion. The kid is hung up on the lion name and form. The, the elephant name and form. The man name and form. The mother sees all that. The mother understands the game that the child plays. But the mother also understands it's all sugar at the end of the day. It's just sugar. Even when it looks like a lion or, or, uh, or a man or a horse. So we are too much engaged with the pots and pans, not with the clay. We are too much scared of the ghost to understand it's just empty space. We are too much hung up on the beautiful blue of the sky to forget that it is the sky which is the same sky which is black at night, same sky which is red at dawn, the same sky is blue uh, at the daytime. It is colorless in itself. We are missing it because we, we are continuously engaged by, by Maya in all of this. I remember a monk, a very, very interesting monk, I heard he passed away a few years ago, 
When I was a novice, I met this monk in a little village. Oh, I can't help telling you the story. It's very touching. He he was a, a, a genuinely a real spiritually. I mean, like uh, immersed in his spiritual quest. Outwardly, he seemed rather uh, eccentric. I I uh, he told me I was standing next to him without asking any question. He looked at me suddenly and he said, "You know Vishwarup, my novice uh, pre-monastic name is Vishwarup. So you know Vishwarup." It's right here. We are missing it a thousand times every second. It's right here. You're missing it a thousand times every second. But what was touching for me was, um, it is a very poor little village. Um, Kualpara, you've been there. Near Jairambati in Bengal. And there was this little girl standing. It's a wooden house and wooden pillar sort of hiding, half hiding behind the wooden pillar, a very tiny little girl with dust in her hair and torn clothes. And this monk was sipping from a cup of tea and she was staring wistfully at it, a little broken mug. And, you know, so casually, there's no significance to this, but I can't forget it. So casually he noticed it and he extended the mug to her. She took a sip and he (laughs) took another sip. while he was talking highest Advaita philosophy to me. But that, these two things, the highest philosophy, that we are missing it a thousand times every moment, and that little uh, gesture, it touched me very, very much. I mean, I can, I can never forget it. He lived the last part of his life in a jungle near, uh, near a river um, in the north, north, north of India, near the Narmada, and he passed away. We could go on, but yes, we are too much... Uh, too much attracted by the projections. That's why we miss it all the time. That's why in spiritual life, that's stepping back from the projections of Maya. Whether it is karma yoga, from selfishness to unselfishness, whether it's bhakti yoga, from love of the world to love of God, whether it is raja yoga, from a thousand and one thoughts to stilling the mind, whether it's jnana yoga, from being involved in the world to recognizing the one Brahman in all manifestations, it is stepping back. Till you notice it. Once you notice it, once you know the clay, a thousand parts will not delude you. Once you know it is Brahman, a thousand persons, uh, continuous activity, uh, the shocks and blows of life, all of it will be a game to you. All of it will be fun. Leela. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tatsat Shri Ram Krishna Rupanamastu